number 38. 38. So, yeah, 38. 38 glorious weeks of uh, of listening to all up here. So uh, I'm gonna pass I'm gonna pass it over to our host tonight, and as always, Mr. Rick Atwater. I love the bird whistle there right at the end. That was good. Uh, anyway, welcome to Recovery Internet Radio, Straight Stuff on Addictions. Tonight our tag is Lost and Found in Pillville. <laughs> I, I warned you I was gonna kinda get do a little do a little drama, but I tried to do I tried to grab the lost thing, you know? The lost and can't remember part. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about that for sure. And uh, anyway, to our studio audience, thanks for joining us tonight where we are every Sunday night at 8. And thanks to Matt G., our guest, and our guest tonight. You can call in uh, to the show if you have any questions or comments by calling 323-792-2977. And Gator, if you're listening, that's 323-792-2977. We'll be looking for your call. I'm waiting. We're waiting. Waiting. Uh, you can tweet us uh, live during the show, and we'll get your tweets at Rick Atwater. So um, we hope to hear from you. We also encourage you to check out uh, check us out at Recovery Internet Radio, where you can uh, get all, get all of our archive shows. So yeah. if you don't get us live, you can always hear this show or any of the shows we've done in the past, which number apparently. <laughs> 37. <laughs> um, and I looked, I also I looked and we're, we're, you know, pretty close to 26,000 listeners. So I'm, I'm like pretty blown away by that. We, we, we probably average somewhere around a thousand to 1500 listeners a week. And, uh, you know, so it's actually turns out to be a, a pretty good crew that'll listen. They won't necessarily all listen right now, but they'll listen like during the week. So so it's a good thing. It's a good way to get a get a message out to people who might not otherwise get it. A um, couple of friends of ours that we would like to uh, recognize before we get started. Um, our friends uh, have a band called Double Take, um, a great rock and roll band, and they can be found at DoubleTakeChicago.com. With their itinerary is there, and I know they're playing locally on the 26th somewhere. Do you know where, Mo? I think in Roselle or somewhere. I don't know. Okay, we'll get it on the we'll get it yeah. get it on the website, please, because they're a lot of fun. Uh, Dirty Laundry Designs Fresh Cards for Addiction and Recovery. Um, that DirtyLaundryDesigns.com or call Colleen at 815-245-1209. They make cards and bookmarks and things like that for recovery events. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Yeah. Colleen's been on the show once or twice and brought her stuff over. I have some of it in my office. Also, a friend of ours, uh, Franz Chiropractic. You can reach uh, Dr. Franz at 815-444-9466. And uh, I've got a couple other people I want to mention, which I will save till halftime. I'd like to get started tonight with, uh, with talking to you, Mr. Matt. Good to see you. You can see out there in that chair. Yeah, it's a comfy chair. It is a comfy chair, isn't it? I was thinking about, um, yeah, do you have a nickname? I don't think so. Asshole, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You answer to that occasionally. I I was thinking, I I was trying to, you know, people would say who's coming on the show, and the only way I would say say Tattoo Matt, because, you know. That's actually pretty common. That's what they call me out in Rockford. 
That's what you get. Okay. So tell me um, how you give me a little bit of an idea of what your you know younger years were like. Where'd you grow up and that kind of thing? And you know where where were you? I heard you say you 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 uh, came up in Arizona. Yep, I was uh, born in Mesa, Arizona, mm-hmm. 1981, mm-hmm. and uh, I had a drug addict mom, an alcoholic drug addict dad. Mm-hmm. My real dad uh, took his own life when I was five, mm-hmm. so I don't really know him. But my mom later met my stepdad, who's mm-hmm. pretty much who I refer to as my dad. Mm-hmm. Are they still uh, around? My mom, actually, I moved her up here last year. Mm-hmm. She had some uh, stuff going on, and mm-hmm. I had to get her up here. And then my, my stepdad passed away in 2004 from a motorcycle crash. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so your, all your early years were spent? In uh, like Mesa, in around Mesa, uh, for the most part, yeah. yeah. I mean, I lived with my parents till I was about thirteen. They what happened then? Kind of told me to get the hell out. And really? I lived on the streets out there from thirteen to almost sixteen. About a week before I turned sixteen, I found out I had a couple brothers out here in Illinois mm. that my stepdad, you know, never really talked about. And my oldest brother Chris was coming to Arizona to pick up a Harley and obviously found out about me or whatever and said, Would you like to come back to to the Chicago area? And I said, Yeah, get mm-hmm. me the hell out of here. Mhm. I'd had enough. What did you do what did you do on the streets? How did you live on the streets at thirteen? It was tough, man. Yeah, I, I, uh, it was. I hooked up with a group of kids. A few of them were my age. Uh one of them was eighteen, he had a truck. Mm-hmm. So we pretty much lived in his truck, and mm-hmm. you know I couldn't get a job or anything, obviously. So we pretty much did what we had to. I was real, real big into robbing stores and you know shoplifting and things like that. And so now you ate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then later on we would rob houses and, mm-hmm. and do that kind of stuff. And did you ever get caught? Yeah, get caught <laughs> lots of times. I spent. Lots of time in and out of juvie and in and out of different rehabs, mm. a couple mental places, mm. a place called Charter. <laughs> Their little motto was, if, if you can't get help, if you don't get help here, get help somewhere. Is that, is that, the, is that Charter's motto? Yeah. And that if you can't get help stuff. here, <laughs> get help somewhere? Uh-huh. That's an so, interesting motto. Yeah. And Arizona was weird because it got to, like, if I got picked up or if I didn't have, if I got picked up for curfew or for shoplifting or mm-hmm. whatever, my parents had to come get me or they would go to jail. Mm. So they would come get me, drive around the corner, open the door, and say, see you later. And you'd just, be off and running again? Yeah, that's just how it was. So when was the first, how old were you when you, when you first went into rehab? Like 13. 13? Yeah, I went to... Went to an outdoor survival camp called Anasazi. Oh, okay. I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah. And that was back in the 90s. Kids were dying there all the time. And so it, wasn't a, it was a rough place? It was a rough place, but I learned a lot there. You know, I learned at 13 how to survive on my own. Mm-hmm. In the woods, no mm-hmm. less, or in the desert or whatever. And You know, I met all kinds of people I shouldn't have met. And you were supposed to be 16 when you started there, and I was 13. 
the 30-day program. I was there for 94 days. Hmm. I was uh, a stubborn kid, for sure. So they kept you because, not because you didn't have any other place to go, but because, because I wouldn't you, hadn't do what got they the, said. you hadn't got yeah. it through your head what you were supposed to be doing there? Eventually, I figured out I needed to tell them what they wanted to hear so I could get out of there. Right. And figure you know, out what to say. Yeah. I weighed, like, 110 pounds when I went there and 84 when I left. Really? Yeah. About what you weigh now. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little more now. Oh, you got a few more on you? I do got to run around the shower to get soaked in water. Yeah, you got to jump around a little bit, do you? That's good. Uh-huh. So, yeah, so well, one of the questions I was going to ask you, which is, which has now become pointless to ask, is, well, maybe not entirely, but, like, what what would you say, like, the the emotional things were... What were what were the emotional what was the emotional uh, uh, underground that set you up to be an addict? I mean, obviously you lived in an addicted setup. So I, yeah, I learned to just anything. shut my emotions off. Hmm? I did whatever I could do to be out of myself. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, you didn't know that then. I mean, that's, no, that's all. The, well, I knew something was wrong. I always felt off. Did you? Yeah. Even even unwanted. Was, I mean, yeah. right. It was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the that that was the that was the perfect setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, so like, and then you were living that whole time in and out of rehabs and street and whatnot until mm-hmm. you were sixteen. Mm-hmm. Did you did you get into pills at that time, or were you just into like other stuff? I was into other stuff, but I I would take pills, but it's not not like I did later. Yeah. You know. I mean, living on the streets, I did whatever. Sure, whatever was available. The only things I didn't do were like heroin. Yeah. Because that's what my real dad did. Yeah. And then I always told myself I would never do that. And you never did, did you? No. Yeah, that's more than a lot of people could say. I mean, because I've heard of, how many people have you heard say, you know, their their dad was an alcoholic and they were never going to drink, you know? And See, I, I never said that. My dad was an alcoholic. I just said I'm never going to be like him. Yeah. And then eventually I became like him. Did you? Yeah. To a certain extent, like yeah. I've never beat on my kids or, or my wife, well, ex-wife or anything like that. But. Yeah. But in other ways. Yeah. Yeah. You want to yeah. say what ways? I got to the point where I was just never around. Yeah. I, I did whatever I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it, and you know I messed a lot of stuff up that way. And yeah. I I was a big runner. If something happened, I was gone. I wasn't going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. You know. And that was him? That was yeah. him? Yeah. Gone. Either I go or you go? Yeah. The last few years, the last few years that uh, my dad was alive, I didn't talk to him. And I remember last time I was in rehab, I was 18 in Rosecrans here mm-hmm. in Rockford. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had one of those, I called my dad or whatever, and, and I more or less told him, you know, I'm not afraid of you anymore. When I see you again, I'll smash your face in. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't talk to him again. Mm-hmm. And then when he died, they didn't let me at the funeral. And that I was a wreck then. I mean, mm-hmm. that stung for sure. Let my brothers go. But not me, my sister, my mom. And uh, he was a real peach, man. He went from one woman to, to another, mm-hmm. which eventually I did. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't marry them. He did. Yeah. Yeah. He was married four times by the time he died. When you when you like said you were going to go to his funeral, 
mm-hmm. and they wouldn't let you. Mm-hmm. What, what would you? What, what would have been? What would it have been like for you if you had gone? What were you going to? What were you going to do there? Were you still pissed off at him? I was pissed off at him, but I, I like to think that I would have had some closure. Yeah. You know, he uh, physically abused me, growing up, mm-hmm. and he was actually. A big reason I never got into recovery was because he was in recovery, supposedly. Mm-hmm. The last, I think he had eight years. Some say sober, I say dry. Right. Because uh, he, he was just, still acting the way he was acting. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, quote, He just recovery. quit drinking. He didn't right. change anything else. Right. And I've heard that story before, and I've also heard sometimes, in some ways, it's harder for people who's, one of their parent, one or both of their parents have gotten in recovery, to get in recovery themselves because, you know, it's not always pretty. Just mm-hmm. because you're, you know, go you you go to a couple of meetings and you you can quote a quote a book, it doesn't right. make, it doesn't make for a, a happy camper necessarily. Right? That's what I figured out pretty quick with my sponsor. He has this thing where he says, uh, you, you can't watch people's mouths. You got to watch their feet. Yeah. If you want to see how I do it, follow me home. Mm-hmm. And that made sense to me. And I had. He's my third sponsor. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a horrible experience with my first sponsor, and uh, my second sponsor I just kind of got so I would have one. Yeah. And I watched Gator for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, probably a month or two, maybe. Before maybe you less. talked to him about sponsorship? Yeah. Yeah. And then I asked him, and I'll never forget it. We were sitting, I was having a hard time, and I was sitting on uh, the staircase of the upper room mm-hmm. in Rockford, which is my home group. And I said, you know, I, will you be my sponsor? And he said, are you willing to go to any length? And he said, yeah. He said, get in the truck. <laughs> and I got in the truck. And yeah. We, uh, we went to Milwaukee and went to this seminar and did all this cool stuff. And I learned. What, what was the seminar? It was a thing called Life. Hmm. It was kind of like recovery minus the recovery. Yeah. Just a bunch of positive people doing positive stuff. So yeah. it was cool. It is cool. Yeah. Yeah, so there's like there's multiple so there's like multiple layers to this thing. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to get the substances out of the way. It's another thing to like learn to live and yeah. From my experience, the substances are the easy part. It's doing everything else. Like I have to look at me, and you know who wants to do that? I sure didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know my I, me personally. I think if we took a we took a vote, not not necessarily I wouldn't out the people that were here, but I think if we if we took a vote in most of the places you hang out where where you said, you know, the substances are the easy part, I think you'd get a you'd probably get a pretty good majority on that on that particular point. Yeah. Especially if somebody's been around for a while and they they kinda of know. So anyway, so so let's go let's let's go back to uh, uh a little bit about um you know, so your your last rehab was eighteen mm-hmm. in uh Rosecrans. Yep, in Rockford. In Rockford. How old are you now? I'm 31. 31. So, and then did you have some years in there where you're still rocking and rolling? Yeah, I rocked and rolled up until 30. Okay, so, so we got a we got a few years to cover yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get to the other stuff, just a few. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, after that, so. And when you went into treatment at Rosecrans, what was the thing that you what what got you there? I was court ordered to go. Yeah. yeah. Was it a DUI or? No, it was I got an aggravated battery, and they put me on probation, and I kept failing the drug tests, and I just didn't care. 
What were you What were you failing on? What What, what were the failures? Just uh, marijuana. Oh, okay. Good. I always drank and smoked. Right. That was my thing, and I did. At 18, I was into acid pretty good. Mm-hmm. We flew a dude out from California and made a bunch of shit in our basement. And you made a, a do it like do it yourself acid. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's pretty. Yeah. That's pretty good because that's high level chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. He was. It was weird, man, because we just had to pick this guy up from the airport. We had no idea who he was, anything like that. They told us his name was Space Case, and that we'd know who he was when he got off the plane. And we most certainly knew who he was when he got off the plane. Well, how did you know? I mean, I don't want to... Well, idea for one, he was blitzed out of his mind. And, you could uh, tell? Yeah. Like, like his, his uh, pupils were as big as his... Well, he was like face. a hippie man, and he was just... <laughs> and we ended up having to take him to the city to get some stuff so he could function. And I, I remember you? getting back to my house. And he was the chemist. Yeah. <laughs> I remember getting back to my house and he had like these uh, morphine pills and he asked if I had anything to drink and at the time I was drinking Jack Daniels and I pull out a bottle and I pour him, you know, a cup mm-hmm. and he's slamming this cup and he pops these pills and he throws up all over and then he's sifting through his puke trying to find those pills and it was just like, man. <laughs> this is the chemist. Yeah. 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 Space case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if he's a, I wonder if he's any relation to uh, Wavy Gravy. <laughs> There's another guy. Wavy Gravy. Wavy Gravy. Yeah, he was a pretty famous guy in San Francisco that did some stuff. But anyway, well, he was from California, so yeah, that's that's a that's a separate story. But we'll stick to yours. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so this so this guy so this is around the time this is when you're about just prior to your treatment. Or yeah. This, yeah. Okay. This was before and after. He before stayed. and after. Yeah, he yeah. stayed with us for a while. Yeah, and and then uh, so I take it you made you made it you, and uh, whatever it is that he made the the acid. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the chemical lysergic acid? Dialysis? I have no idea. Yeah. I didn't help him. That's for sure. He kind of. I don't think it stinks like meth. So. No, I don't think it does either. That's a he good thing. Camped out in the basement and did his thing and. He'd bring it up, and we'd distribute it, and mm-hmm. obviously eat it, and mm-hmm. yeah, I lost a lot of days there too. Yeah, because one of the things, yeah, lost, and I can't remember. Yeah, that was the. Because t- remember, I asked you what what you would title your book, mm-hmm. and that would be the title. It would be. Uh, t- apparently, that that chapter right there would be pretty hazy. Yeah. Yeah. So then you ended up, and then here's the thing, like when you so you got. Uh, a, a battery ch- or a battery charge. Aggravated battery, yeah. Aggravated battery, and then, but you get, kept getting busted for uh, dirty, dirty tests. Mm-hmm. So if you, yeah, because if you were smoking pot, I mean, you weren't, you're not a stupid guy. You know, the one thing that you're going to get caught doing is pot. Yeah, I just didn't care. Yeah, I mean, you could probably do coke. You probably do just about anything and not get busted because you got. A and I did that for a little bit, but that's not really my thing. That's yeah. more. He just didn't care. Yeah. That's the that's the point. I liked, I liked what was that like not caring? I don't know. I didn't give a shit about anything for a long time. So I guess I guess it was just normal. You, you thought that was normal? I learned to shut it off at a young age, so I didn't have to be affected by stuff like that. Did you know what hope was? No. Have you found out? Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? Yeah. To not even know what hope is. It's funny because I, I was actually talking to Blue about it not long ago, but I kind of came to the realization that that's just how my life was, you know? I was going to live and die that way. And Sometimes you go to jail, sometimes you go to rehab, sometimes you're homeless, sometimes you smash multiple cars. I mean, that's part of the deal. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I got here when I figured out that that didn't have to be how it was. Yeah. And that's when I started to get some hope. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it, like, it sounds like you were so numb anyway, mm -hmm. Either even if you did feel anything, even if something was, you know, hurtful, you wouldn't know it was anyway. Right. So, so anyway, so you get busted, you go, you, 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 your quarter to Rosecrans, mm -hmm. and, and apparently that worked like a charm because then you drank and drugged for another 10 or 12 <laughs> or 15 years, I don't know more. What, what would you say about that treatment? I don't remember. <laughs> I do remember... It fits with our theme. I yeah. do remember my counselor, which is probably the only thing I really remember from that, it was this big black guy. And when I got discharged, he just looked at me and he was like, you'll be back. Mm. And I'll never forget that because I looked at him and said, no, I won't. And I never went back. But for some reason, that sticks in my head. Yeah. Yeah. That guy was the real deal for sure. He called me on a lot of my bullshit. Well, I hope I, you know, like I wish that I could tell, uh, or you could tell, or any parents who are listening, you know, how many of them say, like, I want, you know, this to work for my kid. I want my kid to get sober, and I always think, you know, there's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. But even though you drank and drugged for all those more years after that, you remember what that guy said? I do. That meant something. I guess. And if, if I don't know, who paid for that treatment? The state? Yep. You know, they got that. If they got nothing else, they got that. Yeah, I never and thought that, about that. That's worth <laughs> that's worth something, I think. Because, I mean, I think it's an accumulation of those things. That I think maybe that was the only guy that ever took any initiative in, in wanting to see a different me, I guess. Yeah. That makes sense. Wasn't yeah. used to that. Wouldn't, wouldn't, yeah. Wouldn't Wasn't used to people trying to put time into me, yeah. other than my brother. I mean, my brother taught me almost everything I know. And that's the, the guy up here that you came up to yeah. stay with when you finally came yep. down on. So were you staying with him then when you went into treatment? Then no, I had me and my little brother had our own house. Oh, okay. All right. So then let's let's bring us up to uh, to. Where the pills started coming into the picture? Um, well, when I first got here, my brother owned a roofing business, and he gave me the option to go to school or go to work, and naturally, I chose work, because <laughs> the last last grade I completed was eighth, mm -hmm. and he is one of the best, and he taught me, you know, the best. Mm -hmm. and later on, I got into the union, and I was the youngest journeyman to get hired in northern Illinois, mm -hmm. and, I, and I rocked it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did I did better than guys that had been there 10, 20 years, and I let that get to my head. Mm -hmm. And I just thought I was untouchable. And One day I was up on the roof. We did a lot of the steep roofs, mm -hmm. and I was the dude that would put the safety equipment in and take it down, and, you know, obviously nobody cared. Mm -hmm. But... 
through through all that, I still drank and used at work and whatever else, and mm-hmm. it was uh, kind of drizzling, and I had like two, three shingles to put in and pull out the hooks, and I either wasn't paying attention or I'm not 100% sure, but I remember looking up and going, fuck, I just fell, mm-hmm. and I fell two and a half stories, and I tried to get up, and I fell over, and I had shattered my right foot and sprained my left and I had to crawl around to the other side of the roof and you know tell my buddy to come down and pick me up and put me in his truck and he said take me home mm-hmm. and I went home and I have three brothers I've lived with all of them so mm-hmm. this is the the middle brother mm-hmm. and he came out and looked at me and he goes dude you gotta go to the hospital mm-hmm. I was like man I can't go to the hospital I'm gonna fail this drug test and I'm screwed mm-hmm. and you know I got lucky because I ended, I should have gone to Good Shepherd, but I went to Nimsey, and they didn't ask me to take a drug test. Hmm. So I was in there. Because if you got, te- you were on a union job, and if you tested positive, you'd yeah, I would have been screwed. Union job, yeah. And since they didn't test me, I had to take a test later, right? Like a week later or whatever. Right. And but by then, my union rep was like, "Well, you just tell them that you know you were at home, couldn't sleep because of the pain, and, and you smoked or whatever," and that. That worked. Hmm. But that's what started my, my pill thing. So that's where the pills came in? Yeah. What Like what kind of pills were you taking? And you were just taking like bikes? Yeah, at that point they prescribed me Norcos. Yeah. And, you know, the good stuff because yeah. my foot was all messed up. I had to sit at home for over a week with a broken foot because it was too swollen to operate on. And if they cut it open, they wouldn't be able to close it. Right. And, uh... They eventually opened it up and did something, and it wasn't good enough. And then I had to have a bone graft. Mm. And they took bones from my hip and put it in my foot. And I was laid up for a good two years, probably, from that. Mm. I had two surgeries after the first one. And you're taking you're taking pills the whole time? Yeah. You're copping a habit? Yeah, actually. You know, well, at first, at first I actually took them how I was supposed to. Right. And then after a little bit, I realized that I liked it. Mm. So then I'd take a little bit more. Yeah. And then a little bit more. To, how long did it take you to figure out that, well, how long from when you were using them normally to the point where you were? A couple months. Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. at that time, I wasn't drinking. Yeah. Like, I quit drinking for a little bit, and I was just taking the pills how I was supposed to. Right. But eventually the pills quit working how yeah. they were supposed to. So I thought, well, I wonder what happens if I have a drink and take these pills. And then, boom, it was good again. Mm. So then that was became a daily thing. I was just drinking and popping pills. And the problem with that was I would eventually forget how many pills I was taking. And yeah. Do they make you forget? Is that something that happens, or is it I the think booze so? Or? Yeah, I think it's the combination yeah. of the booze. I mean, it says right on the pill bottle, "Don't drink." Don't drink, yeah. But well, wasn't I talking to you about whether you saw spots or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want to go into that right I now. Didn't Why see I was telling you, you didn't see spots. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I try to keep a distance. They probably saw lots of other stuff, but not spots. But not spots. Okay, mm-hmm. I was just checking. So, so you're laying on the couch, drinking. Drinking and taking Norco mm-hmm. and taking them. How did you keep? How did you get more? Um, for a while, I would take them until they ran out, and then I'd be done. And then I'd get a refill. After time, I went out and started looking for them. Mm-hmm. 
and I met a group of guys that get, they could get up. Yeah, and it wasn't just Norcos. They would get like Percocet, Percodan, Vicodins, Oxys. Whatever. Yeah. I couldn't be picky at did that you point. Have, did you have any uh, detox stuff when you in that period of time when you didn't? You know, it's funny. I, I thought I was getting sick all the time. Yeah. I felt like the flu, and I never put two and two together. You didn't know that was I just thought I was sick, yeah. Coming down with something. I would just drink it away. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Coming down with a shortage of Norco. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Well, okay, that's a good place. I think that's a, probably a good place for us to, to go to uh, a break. Yeah. We'll take a short break. You're going to introduce. What are we going to What are we going to do? We're going to do a little music. Yeah, we'll do a little music. We got to We got to take a little break here. You guys can all enjoy uh, those those home listening audience members can enjoy a little uh, a little tune here uh, from Left and Jake while we're while we're taking a little break here. We'll be back in just a few minutes. All right, sounds good. Let's put that on. <laughs> Thank you. 
that's the coffee machine in the background, no problem. <laughs> anyway, um, so where, what I want to do is kind of like uh, maybe, well, pick up where we left off, and uh, you know, you'd had an injury, a pretty severe one. Think you're, uh, you know, t you know, you're starting to get pills from other than the prescription. Mm -hmm. One of my questions is, did the fact that you had a prescription for pills make it? Like legitimate in your head somehow. Oh, absolutely. Like, what was your thinking on that? Like, because my thinking the was so, or because the doctor's not giving me enough, I can go get more. I mean, that's that's what. That's what that's what you thought. The that's what kept me on them for so long. I got to right. the point where I thought I needed them to function. Okay. Yeah. Can I ask? You know, when you said before that you would take it until it, it initially you'd take your take your script until it ran out, and then mm -hmm. you just have. The time between you would be able to get a new refill. It was just like those were gone. I'll just wait, and then I can get another mm -hmm. one. And that was. Did you know? You noticed. That's when I would get sick. You, yeah. That's when you get the flu. Yeah, no. and I just thought, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. I'm sick. What did you do about the pain during that time? Just drink. Yep. Yeah. Drink it away. Drink more. Yeah. So, did did you have any inkling that you were addicted to the pills at that point? No. I mean, I, mean, I knew I was an alcoholic. Yeah, but I legitimately thought that the pain pills was what I needed because I was because you were injured, broken, and yeah, right. And you were, but yeah, and that's what that's what I think that's where that's the slippery slope here. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah, where do you where is the legitimate use of those things? You know, there's people that need pain medication. That's that's what's right. Sometimes for a long time, like you have pretty significant injuries. Yeah. You know, you go a little, skip a little bit ahead. I, uh, after the roof injury, decided I needed a vacation. So I went out to Arizona and, uh, we were camp, not camping, but we were visiting a cabin up in Sholo. And, you know, the first thing I do is go scope out the bars. And me and a friend went and scoped out the bar and we got pretty hammered. And on the drive back, we got into a head on at 65. And I shattered my leg. The other one? No, same one. Same one. Because I'd been in a cast for so long, my leg was teeny tiny and broke through the cast. My leg totally splintered, and and that pretty much from that point on, everything's real spotty. But I remember coming to on the side of the road, the girl that was driving, they were pulling her out the window. A car was on fire. I broke the window and I fell out. Someone's dragging me up to the road. Next thing I know, I'm in the hospital, and uh, we're on an Indian reservation, so they don't have doctors and stuff like that. And, I mean, they do, but not anybody good. And they're talking about cutting my leg off. And at this point, I'm freaking out because yeah. I'm irate. Like, no, 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 I'm not cutting my leg off. Whatever. And they end up getting a hold of two surgeons one in Phoenix and one in Flagstaff, mm -hmm. and they're waiting to see how they're going to go about it, and the guy in Flagstaff says, before you do anything, bring him here, let me see what I can do. And uh, it was a three-and-a-half-hour ambulance drive from Sholo to Flagstaff, and I was completely irate and wanting to fight and whatever else, and I, I remember every time I'd wake up, they'd sedate me, and I'd go back down, and then I woke up, in Sholo with this external cast mm -hmm. where they like literally drill into your bone mm 
mm-hmm. and they have all the rods on the outside. Yeah, like like a halo, they call yeah, it. Like that. Yeah, And I had that for almost two weeks before they could really do anything. And that guy ended up kind of piecing it back together. And then I had more bone grafts, or taking bones from my knee and pasting it all in there. And, and I got, I have a plate. And 14 pins and screws in my leg, hmm. and then my foot, and I'm fused now. So, but you have a heck of a time get, getting through the airport. Actually, yeah, the airport, yes, courthouse, no, which is really weird. It is weird. Yeah. I was just supposed to show you the sophistication of their machine. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean that Arizona is totally different than Illinois. They really hooked me up with prescription there. Oh, really? Yeah. What did they, they gave you either more or different? Or? Yeah, they were giving me Vicodins, Percocet, and Percodan. And when I was in Arizona is when I discovered I was allergic to morphine. Because hmm. they were giving me morphine and I had an allergic reaction and then that was not pleasant. So I learned pretty quick. So those three were your, did mm-hmm. those become your drug of choice? I guess that and alcohol was my drug of choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, had been for a while. Pretty much already. any any pill, yeah, along with alcohol, was my drug of choice. And any other pills come in? Then did any other pills come in there at that time? You know, like benzos and stuff like that, or was that? Yeah, later? a little bit later. I would start. Not much later. A few months later, I would meet uh, my ex-wife, and she was into. Uh, Xanax mm. and. Volume and stuff, and I remember the first night I met her, I was trading my pain pills for Xanax, mm. and I figured out that when I took Xanax, I completely would black out. Mm. So here's this. Was that a good thing to you? You know, no, I don't think so. It's just, it bugged me at happened. first. It's just what happened. And then I got used to it. Yeah. But it would be, I think the first time I really realized it was the first night we hung out. I met her at a bar, and I'm taking Xanax, and I wake up at my house thinking that, okay, once the bar went home, and she's got a whole story of stuff we did, and I have no idea. So I'm having to, like, play along. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I totally remember that. And got in a fight with somebody in a front yard with a cast on, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> sounds about right. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that doesn't sound, that sounds, that that's where the, uh, and I don't remember, yeah. yeah, that's when it really kicked in. Lost and I don't remember part com- comes into the picture. Yeah, did you? Did that scare you at all? It did at first. Yeah. Yeah, it bugged me a lot, and you know I discovered the differences in pills at that point too because I realized that when I ran out of my pain pills or if I was shaky from the booze, I could take a Xanax or a Valium, and I'd be all right. Mm-hmm. So when I would get sick. That's what I would do. Take the bandos. Mm-hmm. I get you. And that's actually how I got off booze when I first got here. I see. And that, so, is that why you didn't want to let go of the pills? Well, I had convinced myself that I didn't have a pill problem. Right. I, I came to the rooms of recovery to quit drinking because I thought that that's what my problem was. Right. You weren't even thinking about the pills. Mm-hmm. Never even any intention of letting go of them? No. I, want, I mean, we talked before about, like... Um, you know, scanning, mm-hmm. or let's not even call it that. Let's just say, because probably from your perspective, it was doing whatever you had to do to get the pills right. that you thought you ought to have. Mm-hmm. 
So, like, what kind of things, looking back on it, what kind of things did you do you would consider now out of the ordinary? Well, after the car accident, I don't know, six months later, maybe, I got a settlement for thirty grand from the roof and hundred grand from the car accident. So mm-hmm. here I am with $130,000, and I can pretty much do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I think six or seven months after I met the girl at the bar, I asked her to marry me, mm-hmm. and she said yes. Obviously, mm-hmm. ching. Yeah. And uh, sure. I blew through a hundred thousand dollars in less than a year. And I, we were in Arizona. I moved back to Arizona so I could be with the same doctor, and they had better pills, and you know that kind of thing. So you moved to Arizona, at least after in, the car accident. I moved to Arizona to so stay with the same surgeon, and yeah. because they gave me better pills. Yeah. Bottom line. Yeah. And uh. When it came down to, I only had like 40, 40 grand left or something. I said, now it's time to go, and we moved back here. And I put thirty grand down on a house. And you know, looking back at it, I thought I was doing everything the right way. You know, I'm gonna buy a house, we're gonna get married, we're gonna have babies. Mm-hmm. And after we bought the house, that's when it came time. Okay, well now I have to get a job again. Right. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. What now? And yeah. uh, and you're still you're still drinking and and oh yeah, and uh, eating pills. I more or less spent all my money. And part of the stipulation when I got the settlement was that they weren't paying for anything else. So physical therapy, any doctor stuff after that, that was all me. That was on you. So I ran out of money. I didn't do physical therapy. I went back to work. I got a job working for contracting for Directv. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, yeah, that was real rough for about a year because I had a hard time walking and stuff still. I right. was using a cane, and you know people could clearly see I was having issues, and they were like, are you okay? Are you going to be good to go up there? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, pop a couple pills, and I'd jump up there. But that's when I would lose equipment and stuff like that for DirecTV. Right. And yeah, I would sell it and get more money and gotcha. go meet my my guys and get more pills and mm-hmm. a little bit later I would my ex-wife had a bad car accident when she was younger so she had physical issues and I would have her go see doctors so she could get prescriptions and right. she was nowhere near how I was right. and I didn't figure that out till after our first kid was born but you mean that she wasn't as bad yeah oh, okay I she's not an alcoholic I can't I can't say what she is or isn't. Right. But she she did like uh prescription pills, but not right. how I did. Right. And I remember they gave her a lot. These were like a hundred and twenty a month. Wow. And she would give me sixty of them to sell. Mm-hmm. And I would tell her I had a bad week at work and give her the money for the pills and say I sold them and you know, I got sixty that she don't know about. Mm. And that went on for a while. Yeah. So you were scamming your wife. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, and Did I've never consider- told her that. <laughs> yeah, and we'll hope she's not listening right now. Yeah, she might be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we'll just we'll just call that a we'll just call that an amend and move on. We'll know if she's listening if she calls in. Yeah. Do we have any callers? Uh, have we had any? I'll let you know as soon as okay. Out. Yeah, because we were yeah we were waiting for Gator, but he's you know time's limited. He's probably in bed. He's old. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's old. Yeah, and he'll listen to this later and hear that. But so anyway, okay, so. You know, 
I want, in a way, I wanted, like, you can do all these amazing things, and your brain can somehow tell you that that's an okay thing to do. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't know. I think, I don't know if people really understand how bad this can get, you know, maybe. I didn't understand how bad it could get till I was in it. Yeah. And then it was too late. Yeah. And then you're, then you're already up to your, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, in uh, difficulties. So. So you can, so let's let's go ahead, let's start talking let's start talking about like you moved into uh your first thing was you thought you needed to quit drinking. Yes. Yeah. And um, I had a moment of clarity. I think I was just talking about this, but the last basically my wife got pregnant, my ex-wife got pregnant with our daughter. Mm-hmm. And she was able to quit drinking, quit pills and everything, and that's when I discovered I couldn't. Okay. And that's how long ago was it? <clears throat> My daughter's three now. Okay, so about so three years ago. 2008, 2009, I think. Okay. But I kept going, and she kind of stopped. Uh, and That kind of highlighted you a little bit? Yeah, and yeah. then I got to the point where I just couldn't be around her or my daughter much. And I continued to do my thing, and I overlooked it. It was like, no, I'm not as bad as, as maybe I think I am or whatever. Two years later, she gets pregnant again with our son. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I I remember this stuff clear as day. And I remember it was uh, November 27th, 2011. Mm-hmm. I came home from work. Well, work. I came home from the bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I walked in the house. The office. Yeah. <laughs> walked in the house, and she asked me if I would give my son a bath. He was four months old, and I told him no. And I walked right by her and the kids, and I went down in the basement. And when I was down in the basement, I was thinking about a lot of stuff. And what I couldn't tell her was I was afraid to give him a bath. I thought I would drop him. I forget he was in there. Yeah. And rather than do that, I would run like I do. Nope, not doing it. Right. And uh, it's really weird. You know, I used to. I used to believe in coincidence. Now I realize it's not the case. But I would get a phone call later on from uh, my ex-sister-in-law who started to tell me about recovery. Mm. And she said, maybe you have a problem. And I had that moment of clarity. And she stayed on the phone with me until I drank everything in the house. And I promised her that I would go to one meeting the next day. Mm. And that was the last time I ever had a drink. Mm. That was in November of... November... 28th, 2011, I started my journey. Yeah. And uh, about a week week into that, you know, I got I got to recovery, and I totally didn't think it was for me here that it was going to work, but I realized people were smiling and happy, and that pissed me off. <laughs> I didn't understand why or how they could be like that. Yeah. But I, I don't know, man. I liked you all the more for that attitude. Yeah. yeah. I, just, I just kept coming back. Yeah. And, I was convinced that angry guy again. Yeah. Yeah. I was convinced that I would quit drinking and everything be perfect. And it was a couple weeks after I quit drinking, I got a phone call from uh, one of my real good friends in Arizona's husband, and she had died. Mm. She'd taken too many pills, and Mm. she had drank too much, and she aspirated. Mm. And that was a a bit of an eye opener for me. Except in my brain, it was like, oh well, I'm glad I quit drinking. Right. I wasn't thinking about the pills, you know. Right. Plus, she must not have known how to. to yeah. Her she should have slept on her stomach. Who knows? 
But uh, that was an eye-opener for me, and I kind of pushed it aside. I mean, I was heard about it, so whatever else. And uh, a couple couple weeks later, I got a phone call from my mom, and she wasn't sounding right. I could clearly tell something was wrong. This was right before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting into a you know, family squabble or whatever. And I flew down. She lived in Idaho at the time. I flew down to Idaho after Christmas. And I took her to the doctor. And the doctor diagnosed her with early onset dementia. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it was my responsibility to take care of it. Mm. My sister kind of more or less was like, I don't know what to do here. And so that's when you brought her back up here with you? Yeah. took me three weeks to pack up her house, all her stuff moving truck and get back out here and mm-hmm. I remember I remember that whole time man all I wanted to do was get home so I could see my wife and kids and you know I finally get home and oddly it's exactly two months to the date when I quit doing everything else but I roll into the driveway and I go inside and, and my wife says I don't want to be with you anymore mm. and I was crushed yeah. totally crushed didn't see it coming, didn't understand it, got my mom settled in, jumped in the truck and I went to the bar and I sat, sat in front of the bar for a little bit and I was, you know, I was a wreck man, I was crying, mm-hmm. didn't know what I was going to do or how I was going to do it and I remember, Blue loves this story, and I remember I walked up to the front door and I put my hand on the door, I heard everybody inside and uh I remember thinking to myself, I know what's going to happen if I go inside, but I don't know what happens if I don't. And I cried out to God that I didn't believe in. And at that moment, something happened. You know, I didn't see a burning bush or whatever, but I got this overwhelming calmness, like it was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I had never experienced that before. Never, never felt that? No. And I turned around, I got in the truck, and I went home. And, uh, and I decided at that time I wasn't going to take pills or smoke or anything. I wasn't going to do, I wasn't going to put anything mind or mood altering in my body anymore. Mm-hmm. And the next day I remember telling, telling my wife that, and she told me I was making a big mistake, that my problem was booze. Mm. And at that moment I realized that she was not who I thought she was and I couldn't be couldn't be there anymore I had to leave I left and a couple weeks later my sponsor fired me and then I realized that uh, her and my sponsor were spending a lot of time together and stuff like that And all I'm going to say about that is they're a couple today and I had a real, real hard time with that. I bet you did. But uh, I got through it, man. Yeah, yeah, you did. And did you do pills? At, at, at I have not taken. I have not taken any mind or mood altering chemicals since jo- J- January twenty seventh, twenty twelve. So I'm coming up on a year. Good for you. Did you did you uh, get the flu when you stopped? Oh yeah. That's actually funny because a guy, a guy that I met in Rockford. He was a pill popper turned into a heroin addict, and yeah. he spotted it. And he's like, dude, you're totally going through withdrawal. 
Yeah. And I was like, what? And he starts explaining the symptoms, and I'm like, dude, no, I got the flu. It's like, how often do you get the flu? Every time you stop taking the pill. <laughs> and then it clicked, and I was it's like, oh, shit, happened. man, you're totally right. I got a couple of questions that came from the audience that they they wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, uh, so, what, okay, so one of the questions is, what do you think about someone that moderately uses alcohol and or pills as a getaway? Is there Are there recreational pill users? I don't know. I wasn't one. Yeah. Sound like I don't know what it's like to do stuff in moderation. I'm either all in or all out. Yeah. I think that that's something they have to ask themselves. Yeah. I mean, what's your intention? Yeah. Is there a is there a point like where you think somebody should be asking more serious questions, or is there a? I think if they have to ask a question, they should look at it. Okay, that's a pretty good answer. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, let's see. Uh, Another question was, uh, what are your thoughts on prescription pain pills and recovery? Should you take them or don't chance it? In other words, for somebody else who has, they're in recovery and they, they're having pain-related stuff, what would you what do you tell them? I think that's between them and their doctor. I mean, the book states that we're allowed to seek outside help. Yeah. Me personally, yeah. I can't do that because I know how I am. Yeah. But, I mean, there are people that can, I mean, I've met them. There are people that can take prescription pain pills as they are supposed to as a doctor recommends yeah for the intended need yeah i'm just not one of them okay that's not your you're not qualified in that area <laughs> there you go <laughs> <laughs> all right and another question was how do you stay sober today which is of course a little bit what we're what we're talking about but you talked I, uh, about how you got in moved into that mm-hmm. but, yeah i had to they told me i had to change one thing and that was everything. Mm-hmm. And I did that. I quit hanging out with the people I hung out with. I quit going to the places I would go to. I met lots of uh, people that could help me. And I got involved. Mm. I mean, involved. I got involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, I got involved in service work. Mm-hmm. I got involved with helping other people, which was foreign to me. Are you still involved with the, the seminars? The, the, uh, yes, I am. Stuff that, yeah. I do that stuff, too. Good. Um, yeah. My sponsor's been real real helpful with all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he made it pretty clear. The only way to stay out of myself is intensive work with other alcoholics and addicts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had a hard time with that at first because, I, like I said, I had that issue with my first sponsor, so I turned people down to sponsor them for, for a little while, and then he kind of... And then Blue kind of got on my shit, and, you know, I I sponsor people now. Yeah, I've heard that you really kind of have to, you have to, it's like for you to stay sober, you kind of have to do that. Yep. What's that, what is that? I mean, what do you think that, how do you think that works? What do you mean? Like, that you have to help other people in order to. Well, I don't have to, but if I want to keep what I have, I have to give it away. Yeah. And, I mean, all I can do is go off of what's happened to me. Does it make you feel better? It does. It does. I mean, I'm selfish and self-centered, so the whole reason I help other people is to help me. Yeah. You know, hopefully they stay sober. Yeah. But if not, at least I am. Have you seen more pill problems out there recently 
or is it the same as it's always been? What do you see? What's the landscape? In, in the I would say it's probably the same as it's always been. Yeah. The kids seem to be younger now doing yeah. that stuff. They start younger? Yeah. Okay. Are they stealing their parents' pills? Absolutely. Is that what it is? Yeah. It's more easy. I mean, in America, they're real, real willing to just write you a script for whatever your problem is. And these kids are taking all kinds of stuff now, I mean, stuff I haven't even heard of. Like, pain, besides pain medication? Yeah, pain, anxiety, and I mean, they're crushing them and snorting them and doing whatever they can do. I think, I think pills are probably the easiest thing for kids to get, because it's in most people's medicine cabinets and sure. you know, stuff like that. Sure. So. Is there anything that you would uh, tell somebody if they thought, you know, if they, you know, walked up to you and said, "Man, I think I might have a pill problem." What would what would you say to them? Come to a meeting. <laughs> Get in my truck. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm a firm believer that if you if you have to question it, there's something going on there. Yeah. Nobody ever gets to a point where they have to question something if something's not going on. And you you're. Your story was real clearly. You weren't asking any questions for a long time. Like it was just yeah, this is how it was just normal. This was just the way it was. Mm-hmm. No questions, right? And I guess somebody would look at that and say, "Wow, how did he manage not to ask any questions that long?" Yeah, someone was looking out for me. That's for sure. I guess so. Yeah. Are yeah. you happier now? I am much happier now. Good. <laughs> much happier now. You know, I wasn't at first, but. I got through it. You know, I learn all my stuff in hindsight. When I'm going through the shit, it's the worst thing ever. But after the fact, I get it. Well, I uh, I want to thank you for coming and telling us your story and telling us your piece and saying everything. Yes. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, uh, thanks again, and uh, thanks for our listeners and our studio audience. Uh, for making us a successful little underground support source for the recovering community. And uh, we'll email our reminders out for next week's show. As always, look at recovery. We'll look at recovery from a wide and open perspective. Remember to check recoveryinternetradio.com for all the archive shows and sign up for our email reminder list. And remember, too, that we want to hear from you so we know where our listeners are. As always, live today, love yourself and your neighbor, and together we'll trudge the happy road to destiny. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you at 8 p.m. next Sunday night. Woo! Bada boom. Arnold.